0: I said, have you read through it? And he said, where's the effect of, is it a little bit saucy? And I said, yes, it is. And I've got to be honest, I was listening to that, and I was beginning to blush a little bit. And I was blushing not just because, well, I don't do so well with this sort of thing, but I was also blushing because I'm fully aware that watching online is my mother. And this is not the kind of thing that I want to be talking about or even listening to in my mother's Presence, or even worse, my mother-in-law as well. So it's a family affair all around, talking about this particular element of the Bible. And I confess, right, when one afternoon I was praying through and deciding you know, what preaching series we should go through in the evening and really thought about Joseph, I thought, this is going to be fun. And so, to get in the mood a little bit, when I was putting the sermon series, together, I decided to put on and watch Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Brilliant musical. But I've got to say, this particular song wasn't in there. For some reason, Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber decided to skip over it a bit. And I also had another thought... Many, many years ago, when I was discerning the call to ordination, I sat in on a college lecture, and this particular lecturer made the point of saying that all Scripture is equally inspired, but some Scripture is more popular than others. And there's a real truth in all of that. Yes, all Scripture is equally inspired, however... When we read John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him shall not die but receive eternal light, it does hit the heart a bit more than say one of the lists of names in Leviticus. Or even if we were with us this morning, the book of who done what in Nehemiah chapter three. Or the really awkward bits of the Bible as well. The bits like this, or what Noah did, or the guy who ran away naked. During Gethsemane, all these other things that they but we don't often talk about. And aside from commissioning Sam to write a series of worship songs on these awkward things that happen in the Bible and making a name for himself that way, actually there is a calling upon us to really look at them and take them seriously. Because there is such a temptation, because they are awkward, because they're embarrassing because they're a bit strange to just skip over to bits that we like. And really, when you get into this particular passage of Scripture, ignoring, shall we say, some of the more graphic details, you can really see important stuff for us to consider and for us to learn as well. And in fact, I go as far as to say that in this reading, we see at least two warnings and one element of hope. The first real warning that we see is about the sheer fragility of the human nature. Judah was a powerful man. Yes, he was a farmer. Yes, he tended his sheep. And already we know that Judah and his brothers and his father were these people. But in the context of the age that they lived in, in the context of ancient Canaan, they were rich. They had sheep. They had goats. He had a young goat to just give away. He had a seal. He had a staff. They were signs of aristocracy. These guys were players in the ancient world. They were bordering on royalty, and Judah was a prominent son in that line. Travelling from Canaan, as he did, to this place, his name already would have been well known, He had a pick of the ladies to whom he could marry. And he took that pick. He was a big dude. And from all of that, sets the scene of what is to come next. A good first decision in getting married. But then a bad decision. Another bad decision. A bad decision by one of his sons. Another son not fulfilling the law that was passed down to essentially remarry his his sister-in-law. Bad decisions that led to a very bad outcome. A bad outcome for everyone really involved. For Judah himself, who got himself into a real pickle by the end of the chapter. For Tamar, who was in a pickle as well for the brothers who can fulfill their obligation. This whole story, there is so much human nature and so many people in disastrous situations going on, it's really hard to keep up. Judah, Tamar, the boys, all of them have got themselves into knots, wrapped up by basically human nature and the decisions that we can make for ourselves. And as I read through this, I was reminded of a TV series that used to be on in the 1990s called The Jerry Springer Show. Some of you will well remember it. And other TV shows have come from it as well. The basic premise being you have somebody who's made a claim against somebody else. It could be about a pregnancy. It could be about a financial situation. It could be about an unpalatable opinion. You name it. They come on. They share their story, their family drama, their own soap opera, and it all kicks off. Everybody watches. There's sometimes a little bit of violence on the stage. The bodyguards and the heavies get involved to separate people. And for some people, it's absolutely fascinating. And way back in the 1990s, when this TV show came out, it was for everyone throughout the world fascinating. People of all kinds wanted to watch it. They'd never seen this before. They'd never seen people want to air their dirty laundry in public. They'd never seen characters like this. And in fact, somebody once said to Jerry Springer himself, where do you get these people from? And he just said, very calmly, these are just people. These are normal people who get into situations these are people like you and me who've just made one or two bad decisions that they've put themselves in a bad situation. And you know what? There's some real truth in that because every single one of us is just one or two decisions away from everything going completely wrong, from our lives completely exploding, for everything turning into an absolute disaster. Each and every one of us can happen. It can be in that place. In the years of ministry that I've been in, I've met so many people who have just done one thing, one moment of madness, just five minutes doing something that has destroyed all of their life. We can sometimes think we're invincible to all of these things. But I'm pretty sure Judah, when he left Canaan to go to this land to get married, felt the same as well. Maybe the reason why he moved in the first place was to escape the shame of what happened with Joseph, his brother, when him and his other brothers chucked him in the well. Maybe he was looking for a fresh start, but that bad decision led to this bad decision, which led to a raft of bad decisions, and at the end of it all, a family is completely broken, divided, and in pain. And if Judah is suffering... That is nothing compared to poor Tamar. Tamar didn't turn to prostitution for fun. Tamar didn't decide one day, I'm just going to become a prostitute and put my life at risk. She knew very well that should she have turned to that life, if she got caught, she would have been put to death because he was such an abomination of the age. She did it purely out of desperation. She knew that if she had no children, that would be the end of her And she knew that the one who basically had organized all these things to happen was Judah himself. Decisions led to destruction. And they also led to injustice as well. Tamar was a result of absolute injustice. And it could have been just so different. It could have been different if just one person along the line had made one decision that was a bit different, it all would have turned out absolutely okay. But they didn't. And this really calls home to us how fragile we are as people, yes. How fragile we are and how easy it is for us to fall down that trap. On Friday, myself and Joel from Elim we're talking about our Christian heroes and how many of them, great pastors, great orators, great writers, had fallen by the way by just one or two decisions, and how hard that was to deal with, and the fear that there is of being caught in that trap as well. It is so easy to go down that way. And in order to prevent ourselves from going that way, we need to be incredibly wise. In fact, We don't just need to be wise. We need to have the wisdom that comes from the Lord. And we only have the wisdom that comes from the Lord by spending time with the Lord. These events take place in the book of Genesis. And if you skip back a few chapters in Genesis, quite a few chapters in fact, and go all the way to the beginning, you'll see the great and wonderful, inspiring story of the creation of the world. And at the end of that world, God gave to man power over the land. And what he was given when he gave them power over the land was wisdom. And what wisdom really was in that context wasn't, you know, I'm wise, let me tell you how to live your life. It was wisdom to know how to rule properly and effectively. God gave to humans this ability through him to rule with wisdom, and to do what was right by his ways. And later on in the Bible, we see others wanting it. Solomon, when he came to the throne of Israel, what did he want? Wisdom. It wasn't so that he could sit on the throne and people come to him constantly and give wise decrees. It was so that he would rule in the same way of God. That, of course, is the wisdom that we want to see in our world leaders today. That is the wisdom we want to see in our church leaders. That is the wisdom that we want to see in each other as well. And that was the wisdom that Judah and his sons were lacking. That was the wisdom that was lacking that led to so much destruction. And that is the wisdom we really need to have. And we only have it by coming to the Lord We only have it by humbling ourselves before the Lord. We only have it by acknowledging we ain't perfect, but God is perfect. We only have it because we know it comes from God. It's so incredible, isn't it, if you've watched any of the coverage of Her Majesty the Queen over the last couple of days and how her faith was so central to who she was and her identity. And certainly maybe in the last 10, 15 years, when the Christmas address has come out at three o'clock on Christmas Day, how she blatantly and without apology tells the gospel. And it is so inspiring. And one of the reasons why we really celebrate her life now and mourn her passing is because in her life, she sought that wisdom. Just today I was watching a, something on the news and somebody who knew knows said she had two things that she lived her life by. Number one, do your best every day and number two, say your prayers at night. As simple as that. To have the wisdom to rule. The same wisdom that we need to seek after as well. We are just one or two decisions away from screwing up. We need to keep on our guard and we need to be wise before the Lord and wise before each other. So that's the first real warning that we see in this message. The second warning is one of hypocrisy and why we've got to be especially careful of it. I don't know, you, but when we get to the end of this message... And we hear how Judah has been to visit a prostitute. Then he hears about this prostitute and says, bring her out to put her to death. It just grates a little bit. There is an ultimate hypocrisy involved here where the guy who's gone to see the prostitute wants to put the prostitute to death because she's in the wrong. There is so little acknowledgement that he has done something wrong and it's only because other circumstances come into play. And basically, he gets caught because he's got his gear, that he gets spared. She gets spared, he gets spared, but he is a hypocrite. And that is not an attractive quality in anyone. And it's certainly not an attractive quality in those of us who proclaim the name of the Lord. Let's acknowledge the elephant in the room here, and that is we're all hypocrites. Every one of us screws up. Every one of us sins. Every one of us makes mistakes. And every one of us will make the mistake that we will say to somebody else, that is not a good mistake to make. However, we also know that we have a savior. We have Jesus Christ who through his death, his resurrection has given us forgiveness. We are set free. If we acknowledge our fault, that's one thing. But when we stop acknowledging our fault and just see the faults of others, That is something else. And in essence, that is exactly what Judah did here. He was so good looking at himself, his strength, his family background, his money, his wealth, you name it all. And even his reputation, he couldn't see the fact that he was a bit of a div. And he really was. And it was only Tamar by her actions who was able to humble him. Hypocrisy does not build the kingdom of God. And if you ever want to see physical evidence of that, all you've got to do is look at the nation of Wales. You see, Wales is a land who has a heritage for revival. Throughout our history, we've seen three massive revivals. But we also have a heritage for hypocrisy as well. The circle tends to go of, we have a revival Before that, church attendance is very low. We have a revival. Loads of people come to faith. The churches get full of people. It's all brilliant. It's all exciting. The spirit is moving. The spirit is flowing. Everybody's happy. And then we settle down a bit. And as we settle down a bit, we make sure our structures are in place. And as we settle down a bit, our appearance is in place. And as we settle down a bit, we are so focused on looking good that we can sometimes do wrong so as not to mess our reputation up. There are so many stories post the revival, the last revival in Wales of chapels who had put single mothers out of the chapel because they'd done wrong. There are so many stories of people who've not been welcomed into church because of their lifestyle. There have been so many stories of people who felt alienated from the gospel, the kingdom of God, feel themselves to be too much of a sinner, because the people of God have made them feel that way. And that's despite the fact that these people are sinners in the first place. We are all screw-ups. We all make mistakes. We all do what is wrong. But we acknowledge it. And in that acknowledging, we humble ourselves. And in that humbling ourselves, we acknowledge it, not just before God, but for each other as well. And in staying, in stating that we ain't perfect, gives so much more freedom to others to come and explore their faith. And this is such a key issue for the world we're living in right now, because there are so many thick lines that are drawn. Thick lines between right and wrong. Thick lines between right and wrong. What is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And the Bible is truthful, but God is love. Where Jesus went, they were the prostitutes. Where Jesus went, they were the tax collectors. Where Jesus went, they were the people who were seen as unclean. And people denounced Jesus because he was seen with those people. The people who denounced him were the religious. The people who denounced him were the Pharisees. The people who denounced him were the people who wanted to look so good and so important and so holy and so pure that they destroyed what God was seeking to do and they destroyed people along the way and that is not the place where we want to be we want to stand on truth we want to stand on what is right by God we want to fully understand what is right by God but we won't want to be the people who say we know God we know exactly what God is thinking at every single time or on every single issue We know what God is thinking on this, that, or the other. We don't want to be the people who will destroy another person's desire, need, want to come to faith because it would compromise ourselves. If we truly want to be like Jesus, we have to not be like Judah. We need to be loving and welcoming just as Jesus is. And if, just if, right now, We are struggling and thinking, this is right, this is wrong, people are undeserving, whatever it is, please go tonight and reread the Gospels and see what Jesus did, and you'll be amazed. Jesus turned everything upside down through love, and we need to have that same love as well. And hypocrisy is, in so many ways, the opposite of love. There is a warning about hypocrisy. And that's all the doom and gloom. That's all the dark stuff. That's all the nasty stuff. There is also the really positive stuff as well. Because there is hope. And the hope comes in the most peculiar of circumstances. If you know your Bible quite well, you might know the name Judah quite well. Because as time would go on, Judah would become the dominant brother. His descendants would become the dominant force. He would become the one for whom much of the land would rest upon. There was Judah, and then there was the rest of them. Out of the people of Judah came the Messiah. And out of the bloodline of the Messiah through the sun was a little boy that was born to Tamar by Judah. Perez, the kid who pulled his brother's arm back in and stuck his out. A kid born in the most peculiar circumstances. A child born to a prostitute with no hope going on at all, with everything against him, with a dad who was something else related, I don't know what. Bah. They weren't good, but through all of that, God built something that was good. God used the worst circumstance created by humans and turned it into something that was wonderful for growing his kingdom. And that is true even now. Whatever depths we fall to, whatever wrongs we do, Whatever bad things come our way, there's always a way back. Whatever troubles come our way, there is always hope. Whatever happens, God still loves us. And when we have the love of God upon us, all things are possible. When I think back through my life to this point... I'm privileged to look back to the things that at the time I thought were terrible. A job I didn't get, something that didn't go my way, a driving test failed, you name it and think it was a disaster. But looking back through all of it, realising that so much good came. If I didn't get a certain job, I wouldn't have felt called to be a vicar. If I hadn't done something else, I wouldn't have met Liz. If I hadn't met Liz, I want not have my beautiful boys. If I hadn't done something else, I won't be here now. All the things that at the time I thought were the worst things that could happen and many of the things that I did that were really wrong, God was still able to turn to good. And in this reading, God did exactly the same. The fruit of that good wasn't to be seen for many generations to come it wasn't to be seen for hundreds of years to come but god had a plan god knew what he was doing and god was in control and i really want to encourage us all today if we are feeling like we're not good enough if we're feeling like a bit of a judah if we feel like we've done wrong if we feel like we've messed up and we're in awkward situations, if we feel like we're in an awkward situation that is not of our doing, if we feel like we're a tamer and circumstances have come together to put us in that place, God is still with us. God is still turning all things to good. And God still will turn all things to good. If I could have chosen any passage from any chapter in the Bible not to preach on, it would have been this one. I would have resisted it at all costs. And I'm not going to lie, there's only one thing worse than preaching from me, and that is reading from me. So well done, Graham, on that. (laughs) Give him a round of applause. And God is with us this evening, people. So let's just come before him and pray. So Father God... We just thanks for each other. And we give thanks for the safety of this place. And we give thanks that we can come together in the safety of you. And we give thanks that as we've come together this evening, we have said sorry for our sins and we have been forgiven. We give thanks that we are your forgiven people. And as your forgiven people... We lift ourselves before you now. And Father God, we do pray for ourselves now. Whatever place we may be in, whatever situation we may face, whatever holes we might feel we are trapped in, we pray that we would turn them to good. And we pray that you would turn them to good. We pray, Lord, that we would not be tempted with hypocrisy. We would remember that we are beggars leading other beggars to the place of bread. We pray that we would remember your great love to us. And we pray above all that we would see the hope of you at work. Give us wisdom, Lord, we pray in our lives. And give us hope over the future and we pray for this season we are entering we pray that it will be a fruitful one we pray for all things that are happening in our churches we pray for students returning we pray for new people as they come to with, and people as they leave as well we pray that you would have your way in us and whatever journey you lead us on we would walk in your ways in the way that leads to everlasting life. So hear us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.